Hey friends, it's Mark James and welcome to this week's podcast. <laughs> I did that very radio style, didn't I? Welcome. Do I normally do that or do I normally just start ranting? I'm sitting here in Joshua's room. It's Wednesday. The time is uh, 3.30. 3.30? Blimey. Time is 3.30pm. Uh, I just did a virtual show. I've already done my Peloton cycle for the day. I'm feeling pretty good, you know. Mm. I'll tell you why. I got weighed last week after I did the podcast. I know I said my weight can't have been good. It was actually... (sighs) We're ready for this. It was 22 stone 5. Oh, that was last Wednesday. 22 stone 5. What the fuck am I doing with my life? 22 stone 5. Jesus Christ. Let's think about that for our American friends. 22 stone 5. So 14 pounds in a stone. So uh, 20 stone is 20 is uh, 280 pounds. Plus 14 makes it 294. Plus another 14 makes it uh, 308. Plus the 5, 313. That was 313 pounds. That's bad. That's not miles off my absolute worst weight ever. And yet... I decided that next day, now bear in mind, I've been to London since then, so I ate some pretty bad food in London, and I've had some days off, but I've still cycled every day, and on the days that I couldn't cycle, because um, I was in London, I started the boxing thing, so I did like a boxing training on the Peloton app, so I still exercised and tried to do my best to close my 1,000 calorie ring every day, Close my thousand calorie ring. That's like a euphemism for shut your mouth. <laughs> Just close your thousand calorie ring, will you? Shut your mouth. But um, yeah, so I tried to do that still. Anyway, I got weighed this morning and I was 21 stone nine, uh, tipping down to eight. So that's not bad. That's a good little bit off. That's like, you know, we're getting there. Still over 300, but I will get there. My aim is to get under, to get into the 20s, just 20, be 20 stone something by the 1st of January. Okay. So I've got like a week to do that. I've got a week to lose another nine pounds. That's my goal, which over Christmas typically is, you know, considered hard, but that's okay. Just keep on keeping on. Like I said, I've already done my Peloton cycle. Um, and I've been being better. I've been more measured with food. I've not been picking out constantly. I've been just aware of the fact that, you know what? All of the food is here. All of the food is going to get eaten. What I don't need to do is eat all of the food and then need to buy loads more because Christmas is a time of plentifulness. If you're lucky, you know, if you're extremely fortunate, Christmas can be a time of plentifulness and you don't need to overindulge, I guess. There's plenty of time to eat plenty of stuff and ramming it all in in one or two days is going to give you bad numbers on the scales. So my goal is to get into the 20s by January 1st. And then once I see 20 stone something, I feel like I'll really just have it in me to push hard to see 19 something. And then 19 something will feel so far away from, you know, the 22 stone something. It really will feel far apart when you think about it in terms of under 20 stone is sub 280 pounds. You know, 20 stone is 280 pounds. So... 
If I can get in those 270s, I remember when I was 275, talking to my friend Taylor and just being devastated that I'd slipped to 275. And now 275 is like a major goal. <laughs> but if I can get to 275, I'm only 50 pounds away from... Oh, fuck me. It just seems impossible. <laughs> so I'm drinking water from a bicycle bottle. I've got two of them. And uh, they're 550 millilitres. We're heavy on the facts and figures today, aren't we? Uh, they're 550 millilitres of water. And I've been trying to drink four of these a day has been my aim. On top of whatever else I've drank, if I've had a glass of Pepsi or whatever. But I do find that I'm drinking less Pepsi. I was drinking a litre and a half of Pepsi. It's easy to do that. But drinking water is a little bit more challenging. But I find that if I have four of these, um, I fill both of them up twice and keep them next to me, then I know that I'm drinking over two litres of water. So that's that's my goal. Um, and that helps too, of course. Although the Peloton has had one downside in that I've picked up what they call biker's palsy, which is like a numbness that you get. And it's in my left thumb. The very end, the tip of my left thumb is numb. And it's because I've compressed a nerve which is in my wrist. It's similar to getting carpal tunnel syndrome. But because in the last few days I really pushed to break records in my cycling to do the most, I mean, wattage wise, I'm a bit lost at the minute in this podcast, but don't worry, I'll get to some real meat and, meat and gravy in a minute. But my first ever day, my total wattage output was 188. I've told you this before. Then the second day it was 180 and it was hard. And then I gradually have grown and grown and grown. And then yesterday my total output was 350 watts, which is monumental. I was second on the leaderboard of people who've done that workout yesterday. So I was pretty pleased with that. Um, I really crushed it. Today I was a bit less. Today I peaked just over 300. But now 300 is like my minimum output on there. So I'm really doing a lot more than I was. I'm tending to burn 570 calories in a 30 to 35 minute cycle, which I think is pretty good numbers. I really am going for it. Um, considering what I'm about to tell you is quite a thing. But um, yeah, so that's where I am on weight. As far as other goals go, I haven't really moved forward. I ha I'm intending to start writing that book and I have been making some index notes about the shape of the book, what I want to really talk about. Um, and also, I've been working on little bits for the show, but not much. I've taken a bit of time off from that because it's Christmas and, you know, we're watching a lot of films. I've basically stopped playing Call of Duty altogether because the game is shit now and I hate it. So I, I was kind of like, when I said to myself, oh, is that me done? I was half joking. I didn't really think I would do it. I thought, oh, just a bit of banter. I will actually start playing. But even my pals as well, we've all just lost enthusiasm for it, really. Not all of us, but we have lost most enthusiasm for the newer version of the game so we are still finding a bit of time to play and hang out together but in general call of duty is just i'm really not fussed anymore it's kind of gone off the reservation for me a bit not bothered but never mind i'm thinking about finding another game i'm thinking about buying a nintendo a normal one a classic nintendo entertainment system and getting a bit of mario action under my belt maybe i should just buy a game boy or something cheaper that i can sit on the couch with who knows mm. you'd think they'd have brought all them games onto the iphone wouldn't you 
And I mean, like, the classic version. I know there's updates and stuff, and there's loads of newer versions. But most people my age, people in their mid-30s, just want to play good old Mario. You know, classic Mario or classic Sonic. Although I've played a lot of Sonic. Sonic has been one of those things that's been easier to get hold of on emulators and stuff. But I would like to play some classic Mario. That'd be quite good. I loved all that. And Mario 2 as well. I loved that one. Mario 2 was the one where he got a little tail, wasn't it? He didn't have a little tail. I mean, he might have had a little tail. He was a, you know, 40-year-old plumber. <laughs> I'm sure under his dungarees he did have a little tail. But enough about that. As a kid, that's what we called our uh, penises. Your tail, your tail, your little tail, your willy, your little tail, your wo- your pecker, your woody, your woody woodpecker. Um, I don't think knob came about until I was a teenager. Your knob. And I've never been a fan of cock. That's always, it's like, I don't like tits either. That, I mean, I do. <laughs> but I mean, I don't like the word. I don't, I, it feels too harsh. Tits, cock. They're not uh, pleasant words to say. I find them very distasteful. But willy, there's something silly, silly willy. There's something silly about willy, isn't there? But yeah, as a kid, you, it was called your tail. Put your tail away. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Anyway, what did you call yours when you were a kid? What was your number one name for your genitals as a child? Write in and tell me. What did you used to call it? Your pink purse? <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, I made myself laugh there. But anyway, so... um. That was the one where he got like a, it was like a raccoon's tail or something would appear. You'd pick something up. I think it was a feather. You picked up a feather. And then Mario suddenly had like a little raccoon's tail and he could use it to fly. It used to sort of spin round and he would fly in Super Mario Brothers 2. Anyway, enough about Super Mario. Let's get on to the main parts of the podcast. Um, Talking about pillows in the hotel, Bart messaged me. Hello, Bart. And he said that he has uh, an extra pillow that he hugs. And that's funny. I've never mentioned this on the podcast before, but I do too. I have a little huggy pillow. It's a little square pillow and it's grey. And um, I'm just going to take my heart rate actually while I'm talking. I'm interested to know what my podcasting heart rate is on the old uh, thing. Apparently nine minutes ago, it was 80 beats per minute. And right now it is 82 beats per minute. It's not too bad. Um, it was 69 when I was just sitting, not podcasting. So podcasting has raised my heart rate. Anyway, um, yeah, he has a little pillow that he hugs and so do I. And I really, really struggle to sleep without it. I don't know what to do with my arms. Sarah is not a hugger. In I mean, in but in general, but mainly in bed, she hates to be hugged in bed. We cannot hug in bed. I know people have this whole big spoon, little spoon situation. We're two knives. <laughs> we just we lie back to back. I don't think that's bad though. It's not. A, it's not a lack of love or affection or romance. It's just that that's how we vibe. We lie back to back because as soon as we, as soon as I'm allowed to hug. Then before you know it, I'm trying it on every time. No question. And so we have to, you know, we just lie back to back. Here's how we sleep, right? Sarah usually is in bed before me and she's asleep or pretending to be asleep. (laughs) 
so I don't talk to her because I do. I got in bed last night and I started a conversation and I know she's thinking, why are you talking to me now? I've been sitting in the living room all night and you've had fuck all to say. And now that we're trying to go to sleep, it's like, you know, Canterbury Tales and you won't shut up. So she'll be asleep and she always faces the window. She sleeps away from the door, which I think is common. I think it's considered traditional that when a man and a woman are in bed together, the man sleeps closest to the door. Uh, and we do. Although if we're in a hotel where the door is on her side of the bed, she sleeps closest to the door. So it's not about the door for us. It's about um, it's about the sides that we sleep on. We always sleep on the same sides. I quite like the things that get explored on this podcast. The reasoning behind stuff is always interesting to me. The minutiae, the banality of it all. But anyway, um, so we always have the same sides. Apparently, some couples decide what side of the bed they're sleeping on when they get into bed, which to me is just, it's insane. I don't understand that mentality. I don't even know how that could work. How can you work out what side of the bed you're going to sleep on once you're in the bed? I mean, it's disgusting behavior. Get a grip of yourselves. So we always sleep in the same side. As you're looking at our bed from the bottom up to the top, you're facing, you know, the feet. Hang on, no, that's confusing. You are looking in the long view, standing... I mean, I already said it, didn't I? Standing at the bottom of the bed, looking towards the headboard. I'm on the left... Sarah's on the right, always. Now, she sleeps uh, with her hands generally tucked underneath her pillows, like a sort of nun, like a praying nun, and generally quite curled up. She tucks, a f- she tucks her knees in, and she gets really close to the edge. She likes to be sort of with her face at the edge of the bed. I don't, because I like to be touching her. So I sleep quite close to the centre of the bed, But only so that I can get next to her and I will put my back, I'll get quite low down in the bed and I will put my lower back above my butt crack, that little part of your lower back, the coccyx, I'll put that against her arse cheeks. (laughs) Right as close as I can get. She'll always have pyjama bottoms on, but I like to get my, or usually, you know, some pants, some sleeping pants, big pants. Um, I will put those... In, she's got these pyjamas now, these silk pyjamas that are supposed to be really good for you to sleep in. So she sleeps in those. So I get my lower back against her arse. Then I'll bring my pillows down on a quite a deep angle so they're tucked in. And then I'll get my huggy pillow and I'll hug the pillow with both arms. And boom, I'm out like a light. Without the huggy pillow, I honestly don't know what you're supposed to do with your arms. In the hotel, I tried using the blanket as a substitute for the huggy pillow because there wasn't a spare pillow and I hadn't brought the huggy pillow with me. I have done that in the past though. Typically when I'm away by myself in a hotel, I will think ahead of that and I will bring the huggy pillow with me. But on this instance, I forgot to do that. So never mind. Um, that's one of the reasons I didn't sleep great in the hotel. What can I, what can, what can you do? Um, anyway, so a lot of things have happened since we last spoke. That's the that's the pillow discussion out of the way. Um, let me just get to the diary so I can see what's what. Because that was Derby. Oh, yeah, so the Derby game and the weekend we're in London. Yeah, so did we go Thursday? What day did we go to London? Oh, so last week when I did the podcast on the Thursday, this is right. So last week when I did the podcast, I... Had already been to London. We'd been to London 
And on the day of the podcast, I did a lateral flow test for to check for COVID. And I didn't have COVID. I'd tested already and I was fine. And then I tested again on Friday because Joshua started showing symptoms of not being very well. and But Sarah was fine. I just felt like I was run down from London. Joshua was okay, but I thought he was run down. But then the next day, he showed that he was had symptoms. And so we both tested. His was clear as day. His lateral flow test was like thick two lines. Um, mine was in the middle, Sarah tested and hers came up pretty blank. Hers looked like she might not have it. So we left the lateral flows on the side. And then half an hour later, I walked past and all three of them had now thickened up. So we waited a couple of hours. We weren't going anywhere anyway. We all tested again. And then a couple of hours later, when we all tested again, we all had thick red lines and we all had COVID. So the next day, PCR tests. Um, I didn't do one. Sarah took Joshua for one and they both did it. I didn't bother because I figured I've tested positive on the lateral flow. I'm going to isolate for 10 days anyway. I don't need to leave the house and go and get a PCR test. All three of us going out. So I'm just going to stay in. And um, I did. And then they both came back positive for COVID. I was positive for COVID already from the lateral flow. So guess what? We've all got COVID. Yay! <laughs> now, as it turns out, the symptoms have been fairly mild for me. As you know, I was run down from London, but I don't know if in London I had COVID because I tested negative for that on the Thursday and we got back the day before. So, no, we'd got back that night, hadn't we, that previous night. So I was fine then. It wasn't until we tested again on the Friday that then I found out I had COVID. So it's a bit of a bummer, but here we are a few days into it. I've still got a bit of a cough. My voice still gets tired a little bit more quickly than it might do. I just did a virtual show. I did one last night as well for a big New York law firm. Um, and in general, I'm feeling pretty okay. Just like a little bit congested and a bit run down. Uh, Sarah's had it the worst. She absolutely is just knackered. She's been congested and had a cough. Her cough was way worse than mine. Her cough got really bad two days ago, but now it seems to be getting quite a lot better. And Joshua has scraped through it the quickest. I mean, he was a bit tired and had a cough, which is the reason we all tested, but or tested again, should I say. Um, but he's fine now. And he's completely back to normal. So seems like everything we've read is true. You know, it doesn't really affect kids too badly in the whole. Uh, adults, um, it does worse. Sarah, as you know, is a little bit older than me, five years older than me. So maybe that could be the reason that her symptoms are a little bit worse. It may or may not be. I don't know. But all I can say is I'm glad that we've both been vaccinated because I'd hate to have had what I've had the last week without the vaccine, if that makes you so much worse. I mean, gosh, mm, that would have been awful. So we're surviving, we're thriving and surviving. And COVID has been no walk in the park, but I'm glad to say it hasn't been the worst thing ever. I must admit, though, there was a, there was a time when... When I tested on Thursday morning and I was didn't have it, I was really relieved because I thought, oh, I'm glad that we've been to London. I feel run down and tired. I do feel a little bit icky, but I'm not going anywhere. So 
it's not a big deal, but it would be nice to know. And I tested. And when it came back nev- negative, I was really um, relieved. And I felt quite you know, like, oh, well, it is just run downness. Then when Joshua said he felt a bit ill, I was of the mind of like, oh, we're just tired, aren't we? It's fine. But Sarah said, no, let's test again. And when she tested him and his came back positive, and she said, we better test us as well. And we did. And then mine came back positive. I, I was thinking like, oh, fuck. You know, because I didn't think I was suddenly going to get a lot worse. And I didn't think that anything severe was going to happen to me. But then you've read in the news and you've seen on the news all the people who have, a lot of people have died because of this. And then you get a thing. And for me, it wasn't even just the idea that, oh, loads of people have died from this because loads of people have died from flu, you know, historically. And I've had flu before. Well, have I? A lot of people, you get a cold, don't you? You say, I've got the flu. But that doesn't mean that you exactly have influenza virus. But anyway, that's getting off topic. I had something or I have something that somebody else had and I did the eulogy at their funeral. You know, a friend, I had a friend who died from COVID, a good close friend, and I spoke at their funeral, which is about as real as it gets. You know, I really know that that happened because I was there and I talked about him retrospectively because my friend is fucking dead because of this thing. And it's still horrible to think about. And then you find out that you have got this thing that killed your friend. Now, my friend, you know, for all sorts of different reasons, was not vaccinated. But, and and that could be the difference. That really could be the difference. And then you've got loads of people running about saying that they think the vaccine's bollocks and they shouldn't get it. And yet, my friend, who was not much older than me, got COVID and is now dead. And I've got COVID and I'm basically fine. So... You know, I know that correlation, causation is not correlation and all that sort of stuff. And But, or correlation is not causation. Alex is already writing a message to me. I know he is. But uh, I know what I mean. One thing does not necessarily suggest the presence of another. But it's still, they're, they're both facts, aren't they? And it's easy to draw a straight line between them, even if a straight line is not what's required. It just puts it in some perspective. It does make you think, like, oh, shit, this thing could be, you know, bad. Anyway, let's move on to some positivity. Sorry, I just knocked the phone then, because I'm going to look back on the list. I was back at it. I did three murder mysteries, um, and one of them was a bit delayed. I was doing a... I did three murder mysteries, and then I did a a show that wasn't a murder mystery. It was just like a a holiday company show for this big American company. And their one was 30 minutes late. And waiting for them, the extra 30 minutes that I had to wait to go on, was quite torturous, because that was on a day that I was feeling quite ill. So that wasn't great. Um... What was supposed to be happening as well, you might have remembered that there was a sort of a whole plan around getting a dog. And the plan around getting a dog, if you remember from last week, was that I was supposed to um, take Joshua to my mum's on the 21st. And then we were going to go and get the dog on the night of the 21st, which was Monday. And then on the 24th, Christmas Eve, I was going to go back for Joshua and get him from my mum's. We were going to hide the dog. Then 
have Christmas Eve with a hidden dog, which turns out wouldn't have been that hard. The dog does not bark very much. And then Christmas Day, bring him downstairs, give him the gift. Boom. Surprise dog. Holy shit. What an amazing day. Now, that plan went out of the window as soon as we found out we got COVID for a number of reasons. And those reasons are... I can think of two, so I'm going to go twofold, possibly to expand into three. Number one, we could not take Joshua to my mum's because he's got COVID and my mum's in her mid-70s. And so we couldn't, and she is double vaccinated and boosted, but we couldn't expose Joshua to my mum knowing that he has COVID. And so my mum was devastated. I was devastated. Joshua was devastated because he loves going to my mum's. But that'll have to be postponed because, you know, safety first. The second thing was as well that we now couldn't go and get the dog from the people who we were getting the dog from because we had COVID and we had to isolate. And so we couldn't be going outside of the house and, you know, possibly exposing other people to our COVID. So we had to get in touch with the lady who we were buying the dog from and ask, because they weren't very far away, they only lived 25 minutes away, and ask if we could pay a little extra and have them deliver the dog for us. Now, we ordinarily would have knocked back, waiting a bit longer for the dog as well, but the woman had made it very clear that because she was going away to visit other family, she needed all of the puppies to be gone by a certain date, so she couldn't keep hold of the puppy, which was a bit of a, you know, it was a bit of a shame because we might have delayed it a little bit. But we spoke to her. She agreed that she could bring the dog, but the only day that she could do it was going to be the Sunday night, which was the day before I was supposed to be taking Joshua to my mum's. So we said, fine, no problem. We sorted it all out. We paid. We gave her a little extra cash. She delivered the dog. Um, we left. We had like a box that was gift a gift-wrapped box. You know the kind of box that people... Um, have in storage units it's like a cardboard box with two little handle holes on either side and a flippy lid you know the kind like a deal or no deal style box we had a box like that which we'd uh sarah had covered in a christmas wrapping paper and she'd put a nice blanket inside and it was roomy but it was nice we put that outside of the door and we communicated with the woman and we asked her to bring the dog and then leave anything she was going to leave in a carrier bag and put the dog inside of that box and then close the lid on the box. And then we were talking her on the phone during all this, of course, and then back up. And then once she'd gone, we then went and got the box and brought it inside. So the lady very kindly delivered the box, delivered the dog and put it in the box. And then as soon as she'd gone and she was back at the bottom of our drive, we said, thank you. And then we uh, brought the dog inside. Joshua was in his room. So we got the dog in and we went in the kitchen and Sarah and I got the dog out of the box and we hugged it and we got to know it a little bit for a couple of minutes. And we, uh, you know, gave it a second to just have a little sniff around the floor, get used to what was going on, be chilled, gave it some water, just kind of a quick induction ceremony. Then we put the dog back in the box <laughs> and then we came upstairs and Joshua was playing his computer. So we turned off the Xbox and sat him down and we had a little chat with him. And I said to him, dude, there's something you've asked us for for years and years and years. And we've always said no. And I want to be clear that this is not a Christmas present. It is a present that you are getting at Christmas. But this is a lifelong commitment and 
I think you deserve it. You've gone through a lot these last couple of years. You've been amazing, and he really has. The growth I've seen in our son over the last two years, because he used to be a bit of a nightmare, now he's lovely. And the way that he reads all the time and gets on with his work, and he's so well-mannered, and just got such a big heart and so much love for everybody. He's the sweetest boy. I said to him, you really deserve this thing. And he still had no idea what it was going to be. And Sarah brought the uh, box into the room and put it on the bed, and we said to him, open up this present, and he did, and the dog popped out, and Joshua screamed <laughs> like a yelp, and he said, wait, is that, is this what I think it is? Is it a, is it a dog? Is it real? Is it a real dog? Is it for me? And we said yes, and he was overwhelmed, and he took the dog out of the box, and he hugged it, and a brand new friendship was formed. I'm I'm finding it hard to tell this story because I'm I keep feeling like I want to cry. So forgive me if I'm stumbling a little bit because I'm trying not to cry. But um, it was such a really nice moment. And and by the way, I'm not afraid of crying. I'll happily cry, but it does rather get in the way of telling your story. <laughs> so yeah, so a brand new friendship was formed. Joshua was overwhelmed. The dog is called Doc Brown. We just call him Doc for short. Although he's already got about a million names. I've already called him the Doctor, uh, Monkey, um, Doc Face, uh, just all sorts of different stuff. You know, you do just give little random nicknames, but in general, he's called Doc. Doc Brown. So, um, yeah, and he's lovely. We are going to be... We're quite liberal on the dog sleeping front and what he gets up to because I've had dogs before. I had a dog when I was a kid. Sarah had dogs growing up. And, you know, Sarah and I had a dog when we first got together as well. And we... I know the deal when it comes to training it. As it turns out, my cousin is actually quite a well-known dog trainer. His name is Dominic Hodgson. If you want to look up his book, if you're looking for some dog training tools, he has a book called How to Be Your Dog's Superhero. It's also available on, available on Amazon as well, by the way, How to Be Your Dog's Superhero. And um, he also has another book called The Perfect Puppy Project. And The Perfect puppy project is about how to take a, a puppy and turn it into you know a good well-trained dog and all that sort of stuff so we're doing all of those things and we're doing um what's it called we're doing training the dog to sit stay paw roll over go around in circles calm down don't bark at strangers be good at walks all of that other stuff but outside of those things we let the dog sleep where it wants. It's allowed upstairs. He's allowed on the couch. He's allowed on all of the furniture. He's allowed on the bed. He's allowed wherever he wants. Because we figured if we're going to have a dog, it's got to be a real part of the family. So he slept the first night. He slept in Joshua's room on Joshua's bed with him. Um, the second night he slept in our room on our bed at the bottom of the bed. Last night he slept on Joshua's bed again and a little bit in his dog bed. There's a dog bed in Joshua's room and there's one in the living room. Um, and yeah, he just sleeps wherever he wants really, which I think is fine. So we're doing that. We're going to get him a crate as well because crate using a dog crate is a good part of training for when you have to go out of the house. Obviously for the first, you know, few weeks, we're all going to be in, or at least for these 10 days, you know, we're all isolating. So we're certainly going to be in. Then Sarah will go back to work. Um, but I'm basically in now until mid-February. I mean, that's why I bought the bike, so that I didn't have to go out for walks and stuff, so I could exercise in. So we're going to be home a lot, but there are going to be times when the dog's going to be in by himself. So 
we're going to um, get a crate for that to help train him about that. But then once he's got used to the crate, we're going to leave the crate open so that it's a good little sleeping area for him with a nice big bed in. But also he can get out and walk around the kitchen. We're basically going to confine him to the kitchen whenever we're not in the house. Because in the kitchen, there is nothing that a bored dog can ruin. Everything's wood panelling and cupboards and stuff. So I can't see him... I can't see him doing anything. So that's our plan. But anyway, it is lovely having a dog. I mean, you're never fully relaxed unless you've got a dog asleep on you. Let me tell you, when you're, as when you're asleep on the couch and then nestled into you, also asleep on the couch, is a dog. Oh, God, that's real relaxation. So he's a he's a half Jack Russell, half poodle. He's called a it's they're called Jackapoos. And if you just search search Jackapoo, you'll see him. But also, if you look on my Instagram, you'll see I posted a picture of him, and he's adorable. I just love him so much already. He's brilliant. I can't wait to take him for some walks and stuff. That's going to be really good. Uh, that will give me a reason to go out. I'm not. I know I'm not doing big walks, but. For me, a big walk is three and a half hours. For a dog, a big walk is an hour. So I can walk an hour, you know, to Tesco and back or whatever. But I'm not going to walk. Um, I'm not going to go do three and four hour big walks like I used to before because that's why I got the Peloton. But walking the dog will be an absolute dream. And we're going to be good, committed uh, dog owners. That's our whole plan. That's our vibe. So uh, we're enjoying it. Um, hold on one sec. Um... So let's get back to the notes. What else has happened? Oh, yeah. I know that um, people talking about their dreams is among the most dull things that anyone can ever do. I've talked about this before, probably twice on the podcast. I hate when people explain their dreams, really. But, <laughs> and you knew there was a but coming. I had a dream the other night. And I, I made a note of it because it was so strange. And it, it's not really the content of the dream that's important. It's what it prompted me to think about. I had a dream where I was back at Cromer, um, Cromer Pier show. And this isn't one of those dreams where you go and and Sarah was there, but she had um, my maths teacher's face and even i still knew it was her even though she didn't look like her and we were all riding about on unicorns and the, i hate all that shit this was a very literal dream a lot of my dreams are i tend to dream very realistic things um i had a dream where i was at cromer and i was about to walk on for my first rehearsal of my own spot because in the chroma pier show which i've probably explained this before but in the chroma pier christmas show you as the sort of co-headline, you will do, you'll be in the sketches, and I wrote and was in a lot of the sketches as well, like Ollie and I did a Laurel and Hardy thing and all that sort of stuff. So you'll be involved in a lot of that, and you'll be in some dance routines, and you'll certainly be in the opening and closing numbers where you'll have to dance and sing. But in general, the main thing that you have to really nail and has to be good is your own spot. You'll do two of your own spots in the show. My first spot was 12 minutes. My second spot was eight minutes. And that's your main thing that's got to be brilliant because that's what you bring to the show. The reason you get hired is because of the quality of your own solo performances. And then they, you know, 
they hope that they can mould you into someone that's capable of performing alongside a cast. Now, for me, that was no problem because I'd been in pantomimes loads of times and I'd been part of a show team and stuff before. So working as part of a cast and all of that was was fairly easy. I think for people who go into that, you know, comedians who've always worked solo or whatever, that might be a bit more of a challenge, but I didn't mind it. I quite liked it. But the main thing you've really got to nail is your two solo spots. Now, over the last two years, or the two years that I did it, I feel like I did do that. I brought new material both times. It was a good wide range of material. I tried to be do something a bit different and be a little bit artistic. I tried to use the opportunity of a theatre in a way that I couldn't in my normal shows. You know, I really made the best out of it as best I could. So I took great pride in that. And I found myself in this dream back at Cromer, about to walk on stage to run my spots for this year, for the for the coming year that I was about to do in the dream. And I realised that I was about to walk on stage with last year's material, that I'd brought all of the stuff that I always do, that I'd brought the classic material that I did in the last show, the Chop Cup, um, the Sketchpad Card Rise, basically the exact same material that I'd done the year before. And I was really embarrassed. As soon as I realised I was about to walk on stage with the same material as I'd done in the past, I was really, really mortified. And I started disaster planning in my head, even in the dream. In the dream, I was coming up with solutions. And I was thinking, do I even have any material that I can do that will work in this situation? Do I have some new stuff that's going to that's gonna ride through this problem? And uh, then I woke up all sweaty and worried. (laughs) But the first thing I did that morning was I wrote down on a bit of paper what I would do if I was back at Cromer next year. I worked out my spots because I couldn't handle the idea that I didn't have enough new material to do another 20 minutes. And of course, the thing is, you might have two, you might have three hours of material, but that doesn't mean you've got three 20 minute spots. If you're not a performer, that probably makes no sense to you at all. But if you are, you immediately know what I mean. Just because you've got three hours material doesn't mean you've got three 20-minute spots. And what that means is that three 20-minute spots means... And and also, it's not even three 20-minutes, is it? It's three 12s and three 8s, which again is different because it's still 60 minutes of material and you've got you know, three hours worth, you've got 180 minutes of material, but that doesn't mean that you've got three 12s and three eights. <laughs> because every 12 needs an opener and a closer and a middle trick, and every eight needs a first trick and a second trick, which is effectively an opener and a closer. And you've got to use those bits in different ways. So when you walk on for your eight and you've already done your 12 in in any given show you are coming on again for the second time when they've already seen you do a spot. So you don't really need an opener. What you need is a I'm back again trick. Hello, it's me again. But in your first 12, you absolutely need an opener and you need a you need a I'll be back closer. Whereas in your eight, you need a I'm not coming back closer. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff to work out. There's a lot of minute details inside of that process that don't necessarily mean that you'll have those pieces of material within 
180 minutes worth of stuff or like most people less you know i probably do have three hours worth of material a lot of people have got way less than that a lot of people might have 60 minutes or 40 minutes of material and they definitely you know don't have the stuff for those shows i've got like i've got two 45s of stuff that i think is really good and then i've got 45 minutes of stuff that i would do if i absolutely had to and then i've got a bit of stuff that I'm not mad keen on, but I've done in the past and I could do again if I had a gun to my head. You know, you've you've always got you've you've always got all the material you've ever done. That's the thing. So if you've changed your show a lot over the years, you do end up with a lot of material. I don't know how much I've got really. I've done a lot of different shows over the years, but I still was panicked about a twelve and an eight at a chroma show that was only happening in a dream. <laughs> So there you go. But I worked out. I worked out my spots. I won't bother telling you what they are. Obviously, the Rubik's cube uh, trick featured, and the billiard balls featured. Rubik's cube was in the first spot. Billiard balls was in the second. But um, that aside, those um, there was other tricks as well. But you know, it is tough. I mean, I've already done fiery in there. I've already done. Um, What's it called? I've already done the Chop Cup there. They're like my two main openers. I did one one year and one the second year. So, and I took a risk because when I did the first year, I didn't know I'd be going back for the second year. But I had a feeling that I might if I did a good job. So I'm glad I saved it. But, you know, openers are the hardest thing. Tricks that open your show really are the hardest thing to find because they have to achieve so much. They have to set the pace. They have to tell the audience who you are, explain a lot of your personality. They have to show the audience what you are, but they also have to give you an opportunity to get to know them. There's a lot of stuff to it. Openers are hard. That's the toughest thing for me. Closers are easy. I don't even think closers are that important. I think the best closer is saying goodbye and thanking the audience. The last trick that you do doesn't really matter to me because I always do like a minute long monologue to end the show anyway. So the last trick is is very unimportant. In fact, sometimes if I'm running over, I'll skip the last trick and just end the show. So I end on the, on the penultimate trick, but the audience never know. And I don't feel like it makes any difference. Oh, it's just started raining. I quite like the rain, though. You know what's funny? In Joshua's room now, we've got this uh, space light which is like one of those things that projects a sort of planetarium vibe onto the ceiling and it's like moving colours. It's sort of like a solar system, um, like a wormhole that you'd see in Star Trek or something. It's uh, red and green and blue, uh, but you can't really tell because they're all mixed together. You can see those colours on the edges, but there's more of a pinkish glow towards the middle. It's very solar system-y and it creates a sort of moving... Um, galaxy-esque light on the ceiling it's very nice I'm going to turn off his other lights so that I can really enjoy it while I finish the podcast hey Google turn off all the lights sure turning off three lights sorry by the way if you've got one of those in your house and you're now having to turn the lights back on <laughs> he's got Google in his room as you know but uh, we've got Alexa everywhere else in the house because uh, I wanted him to be able to have his own control and him not to be able to mess with the rest of the house from within his room by accident. It's not necessarily as much of a concern now, 
but it was when he was younger, you know, that he'd constantly be asking for something and it would be turning the other lights off up and downstairs. My voice is getting tired again. So um, that was my dream. Uh, smashing Peloton goals. I've already talked about that. Uh, virtual show for a New York law firm. Yeah, that was last night. I didn't know that they were a big New York law firm. Uh, until we started, I'd not really looked up the client. I know who the agent is and who books me and who runs the show, and they're always terrific. But um, it was the it was when they were talking this company that I won't say their name for you know data protection reasons. You don't want to mess with a company that's made up entirely of lawyers. But while they were talking, this this law firm and they're international. They're based out of New York and Washington, but. Um, they that's where the two founding things are but they're they're now international because they had people in belgium they had people in england they had people everywhere they have over 650 lawyers on staff that's a big company isn't it 650 lawyers if you've got 650 lawyers how many supporting staff does that require you know i assume all of those lawyers have got paralegals and people like that attached to them and all sorts of office staff. I mean, this le- this legal company, this firm, must hire literally pff, tens of thousands of people. It's got to be tens of thousands, hasn't it? it? can't just be thousands. It must be tens of thousands. It must be at least 10,000 staff. But anyway, they were huge. There was like 400 screens on the call. And uh, I did my- I feel like I might have undercharged. <laughs> <laughs> let's just say that when there's 400 people on the call and they've got you know 600 and odd lawyers you think i might might have just undercharged for this but anyway so i never realized who they were until i was watching the 20 minutes before i was on and they're all chatting about their goals and about what they've achieved this year and they were talking and they kept mentioning the names of the founders and so that was what the partner founders that's what made me uh google them and realize what a huge company they were and i thought oh my god this is massive. So um, that was last night. And that was fun. They were a good crowd. And then today I did a murder mystery. What was funny was that the host of the murder mystery had never heard of James. One of the games they play before I'm on is that they all have to go and get a CD, which is becoming more funny because they very rarely have any CDs. Or if they do, it's some random CD they've had to grab out of the car. Today, somebody had Atomic Kitten. I mean, God, I, Atomic Kitten has got to be my least favourite uh, band but um, one of the CDs was James and the host had never heard of them. And I couldn't believe it. I text Joshua and I said, dude, do me a favor and run the guitar out here. And he did. He brought my guitar out. So when the camera cut to me, I started playing Sit Down by James. And I had everyone on the call. There were 17 screens on the call. I had everyone singing along to Sit Down and the host was laughing her head off. And uh, she realized immediately that she had heard of James or at least she'd heard of that song. But she didn't know that it was James who sings it. But it was a very funny moment. So um, I played that song a little bit. And then I... Um, did my magic stuff <laughs> good little murder mystery show that I actually had fun and then I locked the building down and I came back in the house I did a bit of hoovering and Sarah was asleep on the couch with Doc Joshua was upstairs in his room playing with his iPad so I hoovered and um, came up and gave him some headphones my posh Sennheiser headphones that I love which I haven't been using a lot recently quiet comfort 35s they're brilliant the the um noise cancellation on them is just almost 
unthinkably good. So I put them on him. I gave him his iPad. I said, do me a favor, kid. Do you mind going and chilling in the living room with mummy and Doc? They're both asleep. Just watch your iPad and I'll record the podcast in your room. And he said, no, daddy, of course not. Uh, and I said, well, I'll do you a favor. I'll tidy your room and I'll hoover and I'll sort your bed out and everything for you. So I did. Uh, made his bed and everything again for him. So it's really nice. So um, that was that. And now I'm about to go back downstairs and just enjoy the rest of the day. I did the Peloton straight out of bed this morning which was, I didn't wake up till 12 o'clock. <laughs> That's probably an important detail, but I still got straight on the Peloton and I did find it hard. Doing it straight out of bed was incredibly difficult, but I think I'm going to try and do that again tomorrow because I don't have a show or anything tomorrow. So if I wake up, get straight on the bike and then get a shower and everything, that's me for the day. Done, chill, relaxed, awesomeness. Um, so yeah. I've been ordering a lot of stuff from Amazon still. I, real, I realise it's one of the reasons it makes me incredibly difficult to buy gifts for. Because as soon as I even think about anything that I might want, I just got on Amazon and buy a terrible habit. Not good for our bank balance, but hey, can't change me now. Um, come dine with me. Oh, there was a woman on Come Dine With Me yesterday who I hated so much. She called everyone love and darling, which I don't like as a rule anyway. It always comes across as condescending, but she was... She was into wrestling. She did amateur wrestling or semi-pro uh, semi wrestling. And she was quite... Um, I don't know how to work my way around this because I don't know what's allowed and what isn't allowed anymore. But she was quite... Um, can you say butch? <laughs> now, she was, she was proudly butch. That was her vibe. She had, you know, she had one of those haircuts where... Half of it is shaved. You know, when people have like long hair on one side, but they shave one side of the head. She had that, but she was quite well built. She was um, that mix of overweight and muscly. So she was like sort of, but she was also a wrestler, but she sort of delighted in expressing her, um, what we would consider traditionally masculine traits. She, she, was one of those people who took pride in exuding those things. That was her vibe. Do you know what I mean? You all know what kind of person I'm on about. And that wasn't why I hated her. I know loads of people like that who I really like. What I hated was that she called everyone love and darling, that she got served her meal, and her food was shocking, by the way. She came last. She was an abysmal cook. Her house was an absolute state. I mean, like, really a tip. I don't get what makes people who... I've got no personality and filthy houses thing. I know what I'll do. I'll go on a personality-based cooking show that's filmed inside of my own house. <laughs> and she couldn't cook. The trifecta. I don't know what makes those people apply for these programs. But she got served lamb on the third night. And she did eat meat. She served meat in her own menu. She got served lamb. She stuck a knife and fork into it so that she could ply it up off the plate and she slammed it onto the plate of the guy sitting next to her and she said I don't eat baby animals <laughs> and when she slammed the meat down onto his plate the gravy's going everywhere she's fucked his plate up by dropping an extra lamb cutlet down on top of his dinner and he hasn't even asked for it and she's not said a word she's just slammed the meat down onto his plate and given it to him and declared to everyone that she will not eat baby animals. I was mortified. I hated her so much. I even said out loud, I fucking hate this woman. 
<laughs> and Sarah said, yeah, I do too. And we both did. We hated her. She was horrible. So annoying. Hate people like that. I'm still going on about her a day later. So there you go. Um, I have to give out a shout out. I've got 10 minutes left. I have to give a shout out. I say 10 minutes left. I've got a maximum of 10 minutes left. Nine minutes, actually. To my friend, Neil Dixon, who messaged me today. Hey, Neil. Neil is a longtime friend. I've probably known him for... Oh, mate, is it eight years? Could be eight years or nine years or ten years. I don't know. I've known him for a long time. He was a fun star at Devon Cliffs when I met him and presenter. And uh, he's since become ENTS manager and loads of other stuff. And I really like Neil. Got a lot of respect for him. I think he does a great job. And uh, he's very good at tech and organisation and presenting. I think he's a good manager and he's a good guy. I like him a lot. And um, he... He and I have worked together a lot of times over the years and he sent me a message today because someone was selling a suitcase that he thought I might be interested in. And actually it was very cool and it did make me think I might buy a suitcase similar to that and then get Sarah to make me something similar to what this person was selling because I think she could make it more close to my um, what I was looking for. But it was basically a brown suitcase which was painted with like Harry Houdini, a skate artist, it said on it. I thought that was pretty neat. I thought it would be a nice way to to or um, a straitjacket if you're going to do a straitjacket escape. If I was going to do that, though, I probably wouldn't call on Harry Houdini. I don't like when people bring up Harry Houdini all the time. I don't think he was as good as a magician as everyone says. Actually, Josh Jay put out a podcast last week where Mike Caveney echoed these exact same thoughts. I think Harry Houdini was a good performer, a great escape artist, and an exceptionally good publicist but I don't think he was a great magician and so I don't like when magicians bring him up all the time in their shows I don't know why we always use as some sort of presentational ploy bringing up a magician way more famous than us who already did the thing that we're about to do not as good as they did it it just is counterintuitive, that really. And I, it's a mistake I've made, by the way. I've done it myself. And I've done it a lot of times. <laughs> and I've done it a lot of times recently. But I'm realising now, not that recently, you know, a few years ago. I'm realising now, in Sideshow Tricks I did it, that um, it's not a good way to go about things. But I was talking to Neil about this thing, which he very kindly said to me. He said, this screams your name. And I messaged him back saying, your mum screams my name. <laughs> <laughs> so we are proper friends. Typical shitty boy banter. Anyway, I said to Neil, I'd quite like to talk about hair loss on the podcast uh, if I'm going to talk about you. Because Neil has had it rough over the years with his hairline. He's gone, he went bald quite young. He's not bald. He's got thinning hair um, on the front, you know, receding at the front, thinning at the back. Just generally a, a good loss of, of hair. By the way... I believe that a huge amount of hair loss is down to testosterone. So you can take it, Neil, that if you are losing your hair young, it's actually because you've got a lot of testosterone. Um, and that is one of the main reasons for it, because a lot of the medications that stop you losing your hair or a lot of the th medications that have the side effect of prolonging uh, the loss of hair are things that lower testosterone. So you just have a lot of testosterone. That's one of the things. And I think a lot of men are going bald younger these days. I've certainly noticed it, a lot of thinning hair on men. 
I am not that bothered about it, I'll be honest. If it was down to me, and I suppose it is, but, you know, everyone that I always ask says, don't shave your hair. If I found myself going a lot bolder than I am now, and my hair's thinning at the front and a little thin at the back, my barber says I've just got a double crown, but I think it is thinning more than it was. But I've certainly got a receding hairline. I've lost a lot more hair at the front than I used to have done. Um, I would just shave it completely bald. I don't mind it at all. I think because I've got quite a soft face and a beard, I could get away with a bald head and it wouldn't bother me one bit. I quite often pull my hairline back with my hand and have a look and I can see exactly what I would look like bald. And I'm honestly not bothered. I'm really not. But Neil does not feel that way. And that's fine. I think that... Um, each to each their own you know a lot of people really struggle with losing their hair and so neil was talking to me this morning i'm gonna to have to go to our conversation i should just say i did ask him before any of this if he minded me talking about all of these things and he said no go for it i don't mind at all uh, he's pretty open about it neil got one of those wigs that you get um but the wig costs like 400 pound every few months to get it restuck because you have to you do get your head shaved i think and then they put glue all over and then they basically stick uh seven permanent wig to your head and they look brilliant by the way I've seen loads of people with them and they do look really good and they do really seem to work um, but <clears throat> he decided to stop wearing it because it was so expensive and he didn't feel like he was getting a lot out of it so in the end he's uh, switched and now he's using this stuff which is called Boldify B-O-L-D-I-F-Y Boldify and it's like a sort of powder. The way he described it, he said that um, you buy the colour to match your hair, you sprinkle it like powder, and it's made of keratin, and it grips to your remaining hairs. And then you use hairspray and comb your hair to set it in place. And it's like a filler. Uh, when he first described it to me, he said, I'm sat on a train with black dust in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> which made me laugh but he said it grips onto the hairs and you style it and it makes your hair look a lot thicker and i've actually looked up before and after results men and women can use it by the way it's very popular for women who want to use it to um close down the gap you know when they part the hair down the center women quite often part their hair down the center for a lot of women that gap widens quite a lot and they don't like it so a lot of women use it to um close that gap down the center of the hair uh, if they do a centre parting. So I saw a lot of results for that as well on uh, on Google Images. But it looks like a really good product that works if you feel like that's the route you want to go down. I just thought it was quite interesting because I asked him about the wig and I asked him what the problems with it were. And he said, well, it's really expensive and it makes you sweat a lot. It's really hot on your head. I suppose because it's not natural hair, which is more breathable. I mean, it is made of real hair, but because it's not actually growing out of your scalp, rather it's attached to a sort of... Um, a bald cap device that is glued to your head. I can understand how a lot of sweat would be created by that by that adhesive which is stuck to your head. And he said when it when you sweat a lot, it makes the front of the wig lift a little bit. You get like a gap. And then once you cool down, it settles again and it resticks itself and it looks fine. But if you're gonna get very hot wearing it, it's probably not going to work that well. So on stage and stuff like that, um, it's probably not going to work. And Neil is a stage presenter, so or at least he was. He's not doing that as much now because uh, he's got a new career. But he said that it wasn't great for him, so he switched to this stuff. And he said he wears this, and he uses it in the office and all that sort of stuff. And it makes him feel a lot better. And I think that's lovely. And I think that 
there are a lot of places in life where, you know, we wear clothes that make us feel slimmer or we wear layers that accentuate certain parts of our bodies or, uh, you know, take the eye off others. We wear heels to make us look taller. We wear glasses so that we can see better or to accentuate bits of our face. We grow beards to hide double chins or to make us look like we've got a jawline. We wear makeup to accentuate our features, to thicken our lips, to, uh, we wear, you know, eyeshadow and stuff like that to accentuate our eyes and make our eyes look bigger than they are. We modify ourselves in all sorts of ways in order that we can look more like we think we should. And there's no stigma around all of those. And yet there does seem to be for men a stigma around things that make you look less bald than you are. And yet it's in the same category as all of that other stuff. And so I wanted to talk about it today to say if you are a man and you do feel like you're going bald, you shouldn't be ashamed. And if you want to get products that help you out, hopefully there's a couple there I've suggested that might. And if you want to shave your head, fuck it, do that as well. Go for it. I think that's the route I'd probably go down. But um, good on you, whatever you want to do. Bald or not, rock on. So thanks, Neil, for letting me talk about that. I'm coming at the last 20 seconds, so I just want to say I've never seen the film Grease, and it was on TV today, and I purposefully avoided it so I could still say I'd never seen it. But I want to know, what film have you never seen that everybody says you should have? Send me a message and let me know what film you think you should have seen that you shouldn't have, and I'll talk about them next week. Bye, friends.